Look up. Look up, literally. Behold, the cracks are gone. <laughs> yeah. When the trusses were jacked back up into place, the cracks closed and the plaster was repaired. Look up. The chandelier is straight. <laughs> After all of these years, it's back in place. Our ceiling has been secured by an expert builder with five decades of experience who has worked on some pretty prestigious places in our country. And so I would guess that right now your confidence level that the ceiling is going to stay safely above us has increased. Has it not? But I would also make this guess that your assurance is not 100% complete. A bit of insecurity might still linger because our building is, after all, still 183 years old. Human builders can miscalculate. The ground under us continues to shift and settle earthquakes and hurricanes come and go. And if the current political climate persists in our country, bombs may once again be falling on this building. We can never really be certain, can we? That's the nature of the world in which we live. It can never offer us anything other than uncertainty, caveats, qualifications, contingencies, ifs, and maybes. In our experience, even those people in whom we believed we could put our trust and on whom we believed we could depend proved to be undependable. As the hymn says, friends may fail me, foes assail me. In Scripture, David says that he can lie down and sleep in peace, but often you and I cannot. The tranquil peace that is the essence of certainty eludes us. So here's the good news. Christ is like no other in this world. The kingdom of Christ is unlike the kingdom of this world. With Christ, we can have certainty in this world, not contingency. Security and assurance can erase the ifs and the maybes. With Christ, we have a love that never fails. With Christ, we have a life that never ends. Is that good news? As we heard earlier this morning, the Apostle Paul is quite certain. For I am sure that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, you and I, because we are believers in Christ, must be people who rest in the certainty of Christ. That's what I want us to talk about as we return this morning to the Gospel of Mark, the fourth chapter. So I ask you now, if you have a Bible with you, to take it out, turn to Mark chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. 
When you found your place there, when I ask you to stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 26, this is the word of the Lord. And Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Let's pray together. Father, now we ask that you would bless this word, your word, to our hearts, to our minds. Spirit of God, join now, we pray, the reading of your word, the preaching of your word. Bring transformation into our lives. Calls us to be disciples devoted to you, who rest in the security of who you are and all you have done for us. Accomplish this in us and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as I mentioned last week, the parable that we have just read is a parable of triumph because the kingdom of God, it's a kingdom of triumph. The triumph is certain, the triumph is assured, because it's God who is at work in his kingdom. God is always at work, and the work of God can never be thwarted or defeated. It's, it's that simple. Last week, we began to look at this parable, and we focused on that word in verse 28 in Greek, automatos, automatic. We read, the earth produces by itself. And we saw that the kingdom of God is built by God, not by us. It doesn't grow by our strength, and neither is the kingdom of God hindered or hampered by our weaknesses or our failures. The kingdom of God will go on triumphantly without us. If we have ears to hear, as Jesus says here that we should have, This parable dethrones us, and it enthrones Christ. But the question we ask is, why does Jesus reveal this particular secret about how the kingdom of God works, that it works automatically? Might that not engender laziness among you and me as citizens of the kingdom? Might it not make us passive instead of active. Well, last week we looked at one reason why Jesus might have revealed this secret. And that reason is so that by this parable he might subdue and keep at bay the pride that is latent in every single one of us that is ready to spring forth and go after and grab glory as its game. The kingdom of God is no place for the pride of man. To quote C.S. Lewis again, it's through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride is the complete anti-God state 
of mine. And so the blessing of this parable for you and for me is that it puts us in a pro-God state of mind. Look at what he has done. The seed about which Jesus talks in this parable must be transplanted. This seed, it's not native to our hearts. Our hearts left on their own because of the sin that's found in them produce only thorns and thistles. But God, God, who dwells in a holy place, God who dwells in a place of inaccessible light and glorious love transplants with his own holy hand this seed of grace into our hearts. Christ is the seed. He's the one promised in Genesis chapter 3. He's the seed of John 12 must fall into the ground and die in order that life might come from it. It's God who graciously implants Christ in us. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's all of God. It's not of ourselves. And so this parable humbles us. Through it, we give glory to God for the things that he has done. Instead of seeking glory for ourselves, This is God's good work in us. It's God's good work for us. I know I must have a blind spot. Well, I know I have blind spots in my life. But I've never been able to get my mind around this idea. That God looked down through the hallways of time. And there he saw me. (laughs) There's Craig. Saw my goodness saw my faith, and as a result, God then decided, after he saw me, that he would save me, because I was wise enough to seek him and to choose him. May I say to that, no, this seed planting, this grace planting, this planting of the life of Christ in your heart and my heart is the work of God. Could I get an amen for that one? And the acknowledgement of that becomes the only reason that you and I can have assurance and confidence. This is of God. It's not of us. If it's of me, it will fail. If it's of God, it will never fail. And I belabor belabor this point and go through this extensive review of what we talked about last week. Not only because repetition is the handmaiden of learning, which it is, but also more importantly, if we don't get this right, if we don't get the God-centeredness of this right, we can never have assurance. And I know you want assurance. I know you do. I want assurance. We struggle to find it. We struggle to keep it. One hundred And 21 pastors and theologians worked on the Westminster Confession of Faith that was completed in 1647. And sometimes we imagine these divines, as they are called, we imagine them to be dried up and dusty and disconnected. 
I believe these men had warm hearts. I believe their hearts were deeply connected to their flocks, the sheep, the people that God had entrusted to their care. I believe that they themselves realized that they also were sheep. And so when this part on assurance was written and presented, these divines agreed that it must be included as one of only 33 chapters in the confession because they knew that people needed assurance. And they knew that people lacked assurance. And so here's what they write in chapter 18 of the confession. Assurance doth not so belong to the essence of faith, but that a true believer may wait long and conflict with many difficulties before he be a partaker of it. In other words, you can be saved but not feel sure. A true believer may wait a long time for assurance. That's us, is it not? I'm not young anymore, so I'm speaking looking back through years. We often believe that assurance of salvation will be a future reality. You know, when we finally get our acts together... When we finally sin a little less, then we might have assurance. Then we might lie down and sleep peacefully. The confession continues. True believers may have the assurance of their salvation shaken in many ways, diminished, intermitted, as by negligence and preserving of it by falling into some special sin which wounds the conscience and grieves the spirit, by some sudden or vehement temptation, by God's withdrawing the light of his countenance and suffering even such as fear him to walk in darkness and have no light. Again, this is us. Our assurance is shaken. It's diminished. We do sin. We don't expect to. We don't plan to, but we do. And so we ask, how then can I be saved? How can I still be tempted to be that person, to do that thing? You and I are negligent people. We admit honestly, I'm just not that interested in the things of God right now. Can I really be saved? Emotionally, we feel disconnected. Lord, I don't feel your presence right now. Everything seems dark. And yet you are light. Am I really saved? We struggle with assurance. And that's why I think the hymn writer Fanny Crosby called it blessed. (laughs) Blessed assurance. It's a blessing to have it. So let's get that blessing from the words of Jesus. Look at me at the la- with me at the last four words of verse 29. Jesus says there, the harvest has come. The harvest 
has come. Listen, the harvest is not a potentiality. The, har- the harvest is not a contingency. The harvest is instead a reality. You and I and all those in whom God has transplanted the seed of grace in the life of Christ, we are the harvest and the harvest has come. Once again this week, we see that the tense of the verbs that Jesus uses are so important because in this tense lies our hope. Jesus uses the perfect tense when he says the harvest has come. And the perfect tense carries these two ideas. Number one, completed action. It's done. Number two, the completed action has continuing results. Completed action in the past with results that continue in the future. I do not understand how the mind of God works. No surprise. But in his reality and in his being that is not bound by time, if you are in Christ, you are already saved completely. As God views it, it's already an accomplished reality. And the results of that salvation continue to be experienced in us and by us. So do this. Rest assured God has you. Rest assured the action is complete. Rest assured the seed planted in you did not die. It will not die. Christ will continue to live in you today and every day of your life. He will continue to live with you, as Samuel Rutherford says, our great master gardener, come and transplant you from the lower part of his vineyard to the higher, to the very heart of his garden, above the wrongs of the rain and the sun or the wind. This is the reality that Jesus presses on us in this parable. There is nothing tentative about the work of God in you and me. 1 Corinthians 3, 7. So neither he, he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God, only God, only God who gives the growth. Philippians 1, 6. I am sure, convinced, certain, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 55. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. See, 
we can have certainty because the word and the work is God's. The purpose is God's. And God purposes to save us. And God always accomplishes his purpose. Jesus knew then, as he knows now, that the world wars against certainty for all of us. It is other than the experience of those who were gathered to listen to Jesus. Whenever they planted a seed in this agrarian culture, there was no guarantee that that seed would come to fruition. The seed could molder or rot in the ground. A drought could come. A late freeze. Locusts could come and strip the leaves. Blight could blacken the fruit that was almost ready to be picked. And so these people could have no certainty whether the seed would make it or not. But Jesus says we can because God uses a different kind of seed and fertilizes a different kind of soil, an otherworldly kind, a kind that cannot be explained, which is why Jesus is here. If you look in verse 27, the seed sprouts and grows. The farmer knows not how. He knows that the seed grows, but he does not know how the seed grows. And so God has taken a natural reality and used it to to reflect a spiritual one, one that is inexplicable to us. And that's because the seed, Christ, is of a heavenly substance. It has a power and a potency that we do not understand. So rest assured, what God has planted in you by grace through faith in Jesus Christ will never die. Listen, the harvest will come. You will make it. God will keep you. Is that good news? And listen. You and I don't have to continue to be victims to insecurity and uncertainty. Listen again to the confession. A true believer may wait long. There may be conflicts. Yet, yet, being enabled by the Spirit to know the things which are freely given him of God, he may without extraordinary revelation in the right use of ordinary means attain thereunto. And therefore, it is the duty of everyone to give all diligence to make his calling and election sure. Again, God is not going to fail you. But if you want the joy and the peace And the calm of assurance in this life. If you want to be free from angst and turmoil. If you want to lie down and sleep soundly 
then listen. Attend to the means of grace that God gives to you with all diligence. Attend to His Word. That is what devoted disciples do who want to have assurance. Attend to prayer. That's what devoted disciples do who want to have assurance. Attend to those things at home, in private. Attend to them here as we gather to gather in public worship and add to those means of grace the sacraments. Both of them celebrated this morning. Listen, listen. The more you eat, the more you drink, the more you taste, the more you see, the more you touch at this table, the more you will be assured that Christ loves you and that Christ has you. The great Puritan John Owens writes, If I have observed anything by experience, it is this. A man may take the measure of his growth and decay in grace according to his thoughts and meditations upon the person of Christ and the glory of Christ's kingdom and of his love. Meditate on Christ. Meditate with Christ. With all diligence through the means of grace, the closer you stay to Jesus, the closer you stay to Jesus, the more assurance you will have. Now, almost done. Not wanting to give anyone here false hope, or false assurance, as I conclude, I must include this warning preached by Charles Spurgeon, that prince of preachers. Beware, I pray thee, of presuming that thou art saved. If thy heart be renewed, if thou shalt hate the things that thou did once love, And love the things thou didst once hate. If thou hast really repented. If there be a thorough change of mind in thee. If thou be born again. Then hast thou reason to rejoice. But if there is no vital change. No inward godliness. If there be no love of God. No prayer. No work of the Holy Spirit. Then thy saying I am saved is but thine own assertion. And it may delude, but it will never deliver thee. You know what? I I don't want anyone here this morning to be deluded. I want everyone, everyone here this morning to be delivered. Scripture puts it this way. Let a person examine himself. Examine yourself. Do you understand what Christ has done? Do you by faith believe that what he has done, he did for you? Do you by faith believe that he has done for you what you could never do for yourself? If you believe those things by faith, the grace of God, then be assured. Because this faith, 
This belief is the good work of the grace of God in you. And here's the good news. God's work never fails. Rest assured. Let's pray. Instead, let's sing with me. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste, glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Come on. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. And God's people said, Amen.